Exciting, eh? There's two people that are excited for it. Yay! <laughs> Come on. Ooh, working. Good. So, you know, it's usually at the beginning of the year that, um, or the new year that we make our resolutions, right? It's probably, I don't know if it's so much a big thing in New Zealand, but who here makes goals for the new year? Sorry? 18 goals. 2018 goals for 2018. Wow. Ambitious. <laughs> yeah. So who makes goals for the new year? Man, this is going to go well. <laughs> who, would, who would like to make some goals for 2018? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, maybe I'd define what that could look like. You know, um, sometimes our goals can be pr- shaped out of uh, prophetic words we've got. Who here has a prophetic word that's said over them? Well, there you go. You have a goal. <laughs> that wasn't hard, eh? For some of us, our goal could be that we want to lose what we gained over the holiday season, you know? <laughs> you know, we're, we're a company of believers who love the advancing kingdom, right? But there's some things we don't want to advance in. And um, for me, for many, for many years, me, it was the mistranslation of Isaiah where I thought it was about extending your belt peg. Um, but I realize that's wrong and it's not a goal to have. So, um, you know, for some of us, it's developing better mindsets, uh, healthier ways of thinking and living. You know, for some of us, it's, it's, for some, it's developing uh, their spiritual life. And I hope for most of us, if not all of us, that's actually, uh, what we're going for. It's a blend of all those things. And, um, because each of them should have value in our lives, amen? And um, there's that word value, Sully, inspired by Sully's message from last week. It was a good message, eh? I listened to it in podcasts. So good. There's so many gold, so much gold in there, eh, to dig out. So good, man. Good job. But we're, we're a triune being, you know? We're a spirit, a soul, and a body. And uh, we should care about all these aspects of our being. Uh, First Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from, uh, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself isn't it interesting the, the word it uses for God there, the God of peace? Sanctify you entirely, not partially, entirely. And may your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. He's called you, and he will also bring it to pass. Wow, he's, he's working for you and with you to achieve this in your life. So Thessalonians encourages us to have this great mindset of rejoicing and to have this attitude of thanksgiving. 
And just, just sort of on a side note, I think Thanksgiving really is um, the sign of a life that is growing and a life that is focused on God. I think that's what, you know, the sign of fruit, Thanksgiving in your life means that you're on a journey and I think that you're focusing on God. You know, you can't have thankfulness in a vacuum. You can't have thankfulness in a vacuum. And I think we can all relate to that being encouraged to give thanks is actually quite a hard thing sometimes. Uh, And Mal picked up on it during the worship, eh? She was talking about this, that giving thanks in all things, you know, when, when life is tough and the stuff hits the fan, can be really hard to give thanks. And sometimes in that moment when the stuff is hitting the fan, we, we find ourselves struggling to think of the things to be thankful for. But you know what? The Bible has a bunch of cool stuff. I have to lift this up because I actually don't have my Bible here. But just imagine that's a Bible. <laughs> this is some really cool stuff. Actually, this does too. But the, you know, the Bible has some really great stuff in it for us. You know, we can take like Apostle Paul's letter to Colossae, which is the book of Colossians, and we can pull a whole lot of things out of that that we can be thankful for. You know, we can just grab one letter and get all this stuff that even when the stuff's hitting the fan, we can, we can choose to be thankful um, for even if we can't see it. You know, um, here's a few. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance. Wow. What a great thought when you're facing a whole thing around lack in your life at that moment. Now he's qualified me to, insure, to, to share in this inheritance. He's delivered me from the dominion of darkness. But he hasn't delivered you from something to nothing. He's then transferred you into the kingdom of his son. Wow, that's something we should be thankful for, you know? And we're redeemed and forgiven. That's good news right there. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're in the kingdom. And so no matter what's going on in your life, you can always find something to be thankful for. And I think being thankful is like the reset switch on your brain. You know, when you, when you flick that switch of thankfulness, you turn stupid off and you turn on the focus back to God. So, getting back to Colossians. Uh, Thessalonians. So Thessalonians continues to on to encourage us to listen to the Holy Spirit, to have value for the gifts of prophecy, uh, to steward instruction and exhortation, you know, uh, using words, um, using wisdom to test things and hold on to these things that bring and add value to our life and our journey with God. And who knows that, that each one of us is personally responsible to test the prophetic words we're given. You know, there's an action related to a prophetic word that we receive, uh, and that's firstly to test it. Who knows that we're not meant to test the person, we're meant to test the word, you know? Because there is a precedent in the Bible where God does speak through donkeys. <laughs> So if you've got a negative opinion of the person who gave you this great word, (laughs) it's okay. They can be a donkey, but test the word. You got that, eh? We judge the word, not the person. And then for our own personal ownership of the prophetic word, we need to partner with the Holy Spirit and walk out that word with wisdom. 
we need wisdom to walk out these prophetic words. It's exactly what Jesus did. If you think about his life, he had a process to follow. Jesus wasn't crucified on day one. He wasn't crucified as a little baby. That would be kind of awful. But Jesus knew why he was on earth. He knew the scriptures and the prophecies about himself. But he partnered with the Holy Spirit and using wisdom allowed, um, allowed Jesus to fulfill the prophecies that were said over him. Do you get that? If I put it another way, wisdom allows us to see the bigger picture of the prophetic words we have. And that's wisdom really is partnering with the Holy Spirit. Wisdom allows us to see the bigger picture of the prophetic words we have. And because we're being transformed, amen? Well, I'd like to think that I am. The God of peace, working out his desire for us to walk in wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Isn't that just an amazing thought? This is what he desires for you, that you would, that you would walk in his desire towards you, that in whole, you would be whole in your whole being in Christ. And then, so this is all the spiritually stuff. And then we've got the nice practical things, eh, that, that we can have goals for for the year. So it might be, you might have a goal for um, study. You might be starting study this year that, you know, a new adventure. You might have just finished college, going to university or a uh, new school, or you might be um, going back to school. Um, you might be, you know, reassessing a cr- new career direction this year. You might be wanting to develop your net worth. That's not a bad thing. You know, and um, you might want to buy a new car. These are all goals, you know. These are all practical goals in life. You might want to buy a house. That's right, buy a house in Auckland. Wow. (laughs) We sung about miracles today. That's a miracle, you know. That's why I love testimonies like the Taito family. You know, if you haven't heard that, that testimony, that's flipping awesome. If you want to buy a house, go and receive their testimony and own it for yourself. I already have. I left some crumbs. <laughs> See, buying a house, even for me, like is growing in importance. I want to own my own home. And it's not just for Lara and myself, but it's also about what we lay up for an inheritance for our daughter, Jess. You know, because Jess is just as important to us. Actually, she's a little bit more important than the house. But, but you know, the... the, the <laughs> She doesn't listen to these. So what that means for me is I start to make better decisions this year, better decisions this year that, that, that work towards that goal of owning a house um, in Auckland. It's actually geared to a much bigger picture. It's, it's married to a much bigger picture of what am I laying out for generations to come. And, you know, I get to enjoy it in this lifetime but I think the reward is going to be in the inheritance. The reward's going to be in the inheritance for my daughter and her children and her children. Just a bit of a plug for the Kingdom School of Transformation. I haven't done one for a while, so, you know, an advertisement's all right, eh? Um, which is starting on the 11th of February, by the way. The school starts back up. We're um, we're wanting to do a whole lot more real practical stuff in our school. And so um, an example of this, 
We've got a friend who's coming uh, later this year who's a Kiwi saver expert. And so the whole idea around that is he's going to come and unpack around KiwiSaver and answer any questions you've got. But not only that, who knows that we're all in different stages of life. And there's certain things you can do with something just like KiwiSaver that's actually going to benefit you in your future. And so um, it's really cool to have him come and share on this stuff and help all of us really do something practical with this thing of inheritance, you know, and also setting up our now. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be part of a series called Prosper, and it's going to be one of the sessions in there. I think it's in term two. So, I mean, I'm really excited about that one. So some of the things on my list for this year is, is I want to read more books. I want to read more, and it's not just to go through a list of doing 50 books in one year or something like that, because I, I cannot read that fast, but but it's... My, my, my goal to read more is to understand more and to broaden not just what I know, which I know impresses you all the time, but, but to develop how I think, to develop how I think. And so my goal to read more is, is part of a bigger picture to develop the way that I think. And so, um, you know, it's not just, I don't want to just tick off a list of books because I do have a massive pile of books that I need to read, but... My goal for this year is, you know, are my goals for this year serving a bigger picture? Are your goals for this year that you're now going to (laughs) write down, are they serving a bigger picture? You know, and some of you might have a goal (laughs) that this year, in the weekend, you're not going to sit down and watch two seasons of Netflix. You know, you're going to exercise your empowerment and your freedom and self-control, and you're only going to do one season this weekend, you know? <laughs> you know, but that's a goal, eh? It's part of a much bigger picture to get off the couch, but also have fun watching some season TV. <laughs> so our goal should be married to a bigger picture. So whatever your plans and your vision and your hope is for 2018... There should always be two things that we're advancing in our lives. And this is what I really want to hit about today. Whatever you're going to pursue as your goal, these two things we should always be anchoring in everything we do. One is our relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the second one is our relationship with each other. And, um, and that means learning and building kingdom family. And learning is the key word there because we don't like to, you know, yeah, I'll leave that till next week. We're going to talk about that one next week. (laughs) Shouldn't have said that. Um, It's going to be exciting next week. You should come. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So this week I want to talk about this first one, which is a relationship with God, our Father. And um, I know you hear these things a lot because we we talk about a lot of the same stuff over over and over, don't we? And sometimes I think when we hear a lot of this stuff again, we can switch off. But I really want to encourage you to actually just have your hearts prepared for the Holy Spirit just to take you deeper with a revelation today, you know? It's not about something new. It's about bringing more life to what you already know, you know? Quickening something in you, transforming. So where are you with the Father? 
Now, I spent a good portion of my journey um, as a believer connected with Jesus, but not the Father. I spent a long time of my journey just connected with Jesus, but not the Father. And 2006, when uh, Lara and I started to chase the kingdom, you know, Scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. And so we, we went on this crazy journey since 2006. And, and we realized, well, I realized that my connection, connection with Jesus was supposed to be less about my sin and more about my connection to a good father. My connection with Jesus was meant to be less about my sin and more about my connection to a good father. And so my denominational background um, made me focus on the holiness of God at the expense of his fatherhood. Focused on the holiness of God at the expense of his fatherhood. And so the, the holiness of God without his fatherhood is a dark place to be. Um, because it's his fatherhood that places value on us. It's his fatherhood that places value on creation. And it's the fatherhood of God where we find our identity and our worth. And Jesus lived this. Eh? His value and his security was that he was a son who had a father. So what does this look like? I think holiness, if it stood by itself, if, if, if holiness was the dominant attribute that we applied to God, I think what happens is we, um, we start to get into punitive judgment. Or in other words, punishment for not complying. You know, we would never, we don't, we never measure up. We're never good enough. We're not worth anything. We have no value. Yet I think when he is holy and he is a father, when we, when we have those attributes of God together, um, what we see is we see that he's in the business of restorative justice. Or in other words, he's presented his strength and he's pre presented his best as an invitation for us to be benefactors of his value, his holiness. You know, in fact, Scripture teaches us we inherit his kingdom, you know. And I think um, the holiness of God by itself distances us. But holiness in the Father of God keeps us near, you know, keeps us near. To um, just repeat a verse that I shared towards the end of last year. Actually, I built my message around it. And I love this. Eh? It's so good to chew on. Isaiah 57. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. You know, the broken and the crushed. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contract. I just love that, eh? This is a great picture here of the holiness and the fatherhood of God working together. And I think um, on the other side of the coin, we can go into a, a bad place when we only have the fatherhood of God by itself without his holiness. And I think we end up with things like the hyper-grace movement and all those sort of loopy things when it's just about that. There's no transformation, I reckon, in those extremes. I think it's only when we're when we, when we embracing the fullness of God, that he is holy, that he is just, but he is a father, that in that place we actually find transformation. 
Thanks, Tui. <laughs> there is no transformation when we compartmentize God. You know, we need his fullness. He is holy and just, but his fatherhood is equally, is equally who, he, who he is, you know? It's the fullness of God that we want to know, amen? Who wants to know the fullness of God? You know, it's, and Jesus made that possible, so good. It's not hard, we just got to know Jesus and we know the Father. So um, we don't have time to explore more of that. I spoke a message last year called Defining Your Worth. It's on the Liberty Podcasts. Just go there and listen to everything by Pete and you'll find it somewhere in there. <laughs> There's um, some good stuff in there from another guy too, but he's not here. <laughs> uh, it's making sense? Cool. So I think alongside his holiness, the fatherhood of God is one of the key things that each of us should be growing our revelation in, you know, the, the fatherhood of God. And I think we should be developing the fatherhood of God as the filter to how we see creation, how we see humanity, how we see ourselves, how we see each other. It's the filter that Jesus presented on the earth, you know, and, and when we let who Jesus has become our filter, it changes everything, changes our understanding because who knows that Jesus was all about the Father. He was all about the Father. And the revelation of Jesus leads us to seeing our Father in clarity. He's not the fa- just the Father, he's our Father. You know, and from what I can see in Jesus, we can know without hesitation that our Father is good. That he's good. And I think the progressive revealing of God in Scripture testifies with the Father God we see in the person of Jesus. I reckon Scripture progressively reveals the Father that Jesus presented. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that as I chased and embraced a good Father, um, a lot of Scripture began to look different for me. You know, for example, who knows that when Adam and Eve uh, failed in the garden, there was consequences to their actions? You know, who knows when you stuff up, there's a consequence to your action, you know? But, But what I love in Genesis, what you see straight away, in this story of Adam and Eve, straight away, you see God working from love, protection, and restoration. I love that. And so we're not going to read through all, the, all of Genesis, but I'll put a few references up. <laughs> Genesis 3.22, it says, he protected them from eating from the tree of life. You think about that, you know? He took them out of the garden. This wasn't a punishment for their failure, but it's an act of love and protection because the danger of them eating the tree of life in their fallen mindset would have been fatal. This... You know, amazing, the Father's heart through all the scripture. Genesis 3.15. You know, he told Eve that from her womb, a descendant who would come, who would crush the enemy. 
the very first prophetic declaration of the Father's heart to restore humanity is in Genesis 3.15. So good. Genesis 3.21, he clothed them. You know, when they were aware, they discovered they were naked and quite ashamed and they hid themselves from him. He clothed them, making garments from the skin of animals. You know, love covers and displaces shame. There's a consequence to their actions. What's that consequence? Some animals died. But the animals died to create a covering from them that hid their shame, that displaced their shame. There's a type and a shadow there of Jesus. The story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, you know, and we know the story. Um, Cain got upset. Abel did well. And, and, then, and then he has this discussion with God, you know. God's initially encouraging Cain to make great choice. You know, that, that Cain was able to master sin that was at his door. The father's heart was there to encourage and to strengthen Cain. But Cain chose to listen to another thought and he kills his brother. Who knows that Cain had consequences to his actions? He was sent out. But here we see, infused in this story, again, the father's heart right there, where, where, where Cain was afraid that whoever came across him was going to kill him, right? But yet we have Father God protecting Cain from his own fears. Wow. Cain's, Cain's the guy that just lied to God. And yet the father's heart turns up and protects him. There's still consequences to his actions, but the father's heart's always there. Noah in the flood. Did I put this one on here? There's another one, Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Do you know, depending on how we read this, we can actually be saddened. The Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I've created, um, whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animal to creepy thing and to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Wow. That's, that's not light stuff. This is a grieving father. But I love what it says next. It says, but Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so we see a father grieved over the sad state of his creation, the creation that he, when he made it, declared to be good. And now it's in this corrupt, messed up state, and he's just grieved, and he's just torn, just, you know, he's sorry that he made us. But you see a father who's looking for hope. He's looking for a catalyst and he sees Noah. Who knows that the father was searching for something? The father, the father's heart, the fatherhood of God was searching humanity for someone that would just say yes. And he sees that in Noah. And he, what he sees in Noah was a way for the father to be with his creation. 
by providing an opportunity for humanity to change the tide. It's just amazing. God could have destroyed creation in that moment. The Bible would be a lot shorter. But, you know, <laughs> be a quick read. But, but you know what? He didn't. He's holy and he's just. But because he's a father, he's looking for hope. And he's looking for a catalyst in humanity. And did you know that you're the hope on the earth? You know that when you're born again, hope increased on the earth? Do you know that you're a catalyst of transformation? So if God did what he did with one person like Noah, there's a bunch of us on the earth now. The kingdom is advancing, amen? And none of those stories do we see God as wrathful, eh? None of those stories. And you know, you've heard this before that We don't see a father, you know, we do see a father. I just realized what I wrote here is, it's in another form of English. (laughs) I read this several times too, so. (laughs) You know, he's a father that's grieved, but he's not wrathful. Romans, um, Romans 4.15 tells us that wrath is connected to the Mosaic law. And it is not connected to humanity's failure outside of that law. That's big. It's not connected to humanity's failure outside of that law. We should be so thankful for that. Wow, if you can't think of anything else to be thankful for, that is... That is gold. Amen? Consequences of our actions cannot remove the fatherhood of God. You know, it's, it's not like a switch that he turns off and on and he chooses to be a father and chooses not to be. He's a good father all the time. Holy, just, and father. Okay. We're almost at the end. <laughs> is it all right? guys are quiet. Hmm. Did you say focused? Sully Peppy said he was focused. Wow. We were earlier this morning declaring miracles. (laughs) Those were two independent statements that are not connected. (laughs) Okay, the story of the prodigal son. Who knows that story? I mean, that's been preached about to death almost day. Um, <laughs> who's lived the story of the prodigal son? <laughs> so we have the story of the prodigal son. You know, we know the story that um, the younger son takes his inheritance, runs off and spends it having a crazy time and he ends up losing it all, wasting it all and he ends up just, you know, and a pig pen, not having a good day. And then it says that he came to his senses and he decided, actually, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And so this is Luke 15, 
It says the younger son um, came to his senses, returned to his father's household, and that as he did, his father, having compassion, came running to greet him. I love that. He was just going to turn back up as a slave. He was happy. He was content with the slave, and the father embraces him and establishes him back in his sonship. Amazing, eh? And it carries on, you know, in Luke 15, that the father's response was motivated from his heart, not the son's actions. Who knows that the father responded from his own heart, not the actions of his son. And who knows that it's because the father blessed him with what he had, not punished him for what he had squandered. The father blessed him with what he had. He didn't punish him for what the son had lost. He celebrated his son who was lost and now found, now found again. You know, there's, there's this false humility in church that teaches us that we're poor sinners and waiting for a resurrected body just to be set free from this wretched me, you know? And, but the truth is we've got a loving father who is full of forgiveness, hope, and purpose towards us. And he's always looking to draw that out of you. And what we focus on, we do empower in our lives. You know, we've heard that so many times. And I would rather focus on what God is inviting me into than what I've left behind. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'd rather focus forward into new things than focus on the stuff I did many years ago. <laughs> I was going to say yesterday, but that's probably not appropriate. That didn't go down very well. Okay, so Paul, <laughs> I'll move on. Paul, Paul says in Philippians 3, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. What does that mean? He knows there's something that he's stepping into. He knows there's something for him to walk into. He knows there's, there's some possibility. There's something that, that God has for him. And he press on, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so we must be pressing forward in our knowing of Christ to keep intentional about building a, re, a revelation of a good father. And as we do, our understanding of him becomes more framed around his goodness than based on our personal struggles. Amen. Our perception of the Father moves away from being shaped by our life experience and is formed, it's formed through the person of Jesus, the perfect likeness of the Father. You know, Jesus is to me the perfect revelation of the Father. I can trust that what I see in Christ is the Father and that Father is good. And that the Father is good. The revelation of Jesus leads us to a revelation of the Father. Amen. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we have a role in revelation. Who knows that you've got something to do? You've got an action to do. Which is to allow, to allow revelation to, to, to lead into transformation in our life. We have to respond. Amen. And our response is repentance. 
and I know lots of people don't like that word because we associate it with sin, but repentance isn't about sin. Repentance is about truth. The power of repentance is actually about truth. And what does the Bible tell us that truth does? Sets us free. Come on. So I want to encourage you today to make developing a greater revelation of a good father God be part of your goals for 2018. Chase all those other goals, you know, like reducing your Netflix consumption, you know, um, buying a car, going after a house, reading books, doing all those other things that you want to do. But I want to encourage you, make chasing and, and, and growing in the, the revelation of a good father part of your 2018. You know, you could be here today and you're really struggling to see God as a good father. Let's just stand, eh? You could be struggling to see God as a good father. And I know so many people do. Sometimes we think that he looks like this. You know, where the angels are in the background and they're saying, call it a hunch. But I think he's in the taketh away mode. But that's a really bad presentation of God. Amen? That's not a good father. Our father's holy, he's just, and he's, and he's a father. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're really struggling with the goodness of God, it's actually okay that you're in that struggle, but you do not have permission to remain there. That's a liberating thought. It's okay to be in a struggle, but you do not have permission to remain there. Because Jesus has provided you an opportunity to be set free from that thought. And so if you've been struggling with a good father, I want to decree over you that this is your year to experience the fatherhood of God. This is your year to experience the fatherhood of God. He's good. He's so, so good.